1: Mikel Arteta expresses outrage at full-time, upset with the Premier League, and rightfully so. We need to have it changed. It is totally unfair that goals are what win the game. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the black man's Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Tim has said this. Goals are overrated. And I think what we saw against Liverpool is that they are overrated, and that any other metric you could use to decide the winner of the game should have been used in this game. But no, 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 stodgy old Premier League. They used goals, and we did lose 2-0, despite a performance that I think continues to point true North point up in terms of direction of travel for this team. You may feel differently. I know it is hard to, you know, if you're the kind of person who hates to lose and let's face it, we all hate to lose. It can be hard to hear the positives, take the positives when we lose, but I can't help but feel fairly upbeat about what we saw. I think there are things that we can all point to quite clearly as you know, what went wrong. Most of them are me. I think I am the problem with Arsenal at the moment, but I do want to say thank you for being here. We love you. The, the, conversation around this team is getting really really enjoyable as the team gets better and a night like this when we get knocked a little bit it's so fun to interact with people and see really good thoughtful opinions about what we can do better what we did well so thank you for that uh really lovely and and just appreciate you but not just you i appreciate paul i mean you know a bit he's on twitter pause my pants hello pause Woo-hoo. and i definitely appreciate tim he's on twitter Ask Deberto, hello, Tim. hello there and I certainly appreciate Clive. He's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Yeah, so uh, Mikel complaining about the fixture congestion and, and journalists soiling themselves over that. Uh, I saw Tim, as he does, defending defending the badge, defending the Arsenal, when one journalist in particular said, uh, it's rich of Arsenal complain about this with no Europe and having had nine games canceled uh, in January. And Tim, I liked your reply Uh, One is quite a bit less than nine, correct? Have have we done that right?
2: Facts, facts, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, one quite a bit less than nine. So um, lots of news and podcast stuff to announce down the road, but I sort of want to dive into it today. And I think, you know, we do these pre-match live streams. Some people say they're jinxes. We have broken that jinx. We have won quite a bit since doing those pre-match live streams. We get so much wrong in them. But in this game, I feel like everything you kind of thought about this game played out the way... It, you expected in some ways, which is that the threat was going to be in behind Alexander Arnold for us, that the threat for them was going to be in behind Cedric or attacking that side, and that it was Liverpool's ability to convert the tiny half chances, the one little mistake in such a ruthless way that could be the decider. And that feels like what happened here. Tim, Arteta said something at full time that I just completely agree with. And I don't think I'm a sycophant when it comes to Mikel Arteta, but he said from box to box, I thought we were maybe the better team, but unfortunately these games are one in the boxes. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, you know, big games so often wind up being about one or two moments. You know, the smaller games, the weaker teams, you batter them, you get a ton of chances. You take a few, you miss a few, whatever there's, there's more margin for error. But in these big games at the absolute highest level, It's one moment. It's a near post shot that sneaks in versus a curled shot that goes wide of the post. And I I totally agree with Arteta. From box to box, we were the equal or or better than Liverpool for large stretches. But in the box, we saw just our our little lack of that exceptional quality versus theirs. And that was the difference in my view.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent, it was. And let's um, I guess let's put it in like no uncertain terms. And it's going to sound brutal and harsh, and it's not intended that way. It's just this is how I saw it. Basically, Erdegaard gets a great chance. Allison makes a world class save, and that is a world class save. I don't think it's a bad finish. Might you know you can tell usually by what happens in a stadium. And my f- the first thing that came out of my ma- mouth involuntarily was "fuck me, what a save!" Like brilliant save. And can I add something to that just real quick? Sure, I I think this the
1: shuffle he does to keep Lacazette from being able to round him before yeah. that is also sensational.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so you've got that, and then you know, frankly, Jota goes through, and and our goalkeeper doesn't cover himself in glory. Now, I don't want to kill Ramsdale for that because I think that is genuinely the first time this season that I've looked at a goal and gone like, not to say Ramsdale has been faultless on every goal, but that's the first time I've gone, oh, that that's kind of your fault. Um, and again, the whole move isn't his fault, but you know, that's kind of one where I was like, well, you really should have saved that actually. Yeah. Um, so you've got like one world-class intervention from one goalkeeper, a mistake from the other goalkeeper. And then you've got this other, I guess, series of incidents where, uh, the, the ball through to Jota for the first goal from Thiago is outstanding. It's such a good pass, uh, the way he stabs that through the lines. And we've seen Thiago, Lord knows Thiago can do that. And Jota accepts the gift and goes through on goal and puts it in. A couple of minutes earlier, Martinelli took a quick free kick in exactly the same position. It was exactly the same pass to Lacazette, and Lacazette watched it go by um, because Lacazette's intent is not. Oh my god, I am throwing goal. Oh my god, like he he doesn't want to face the goal. The reason he didn't collect it is because he was rocking on his heels because he keeps thinking, how do I get this with my back to goal and give it to someone else? And that's that's kind of what happens with the Odegaard chance as well. But like I, I do agree with you, Elliot. I do think that's also a very good bit of goalkeeping from Alisson. And then, and then you've got Robertson gets to the byline for Liverpool. Where's Firmino? Right on the front stick between defenders, attacking mm-hmm. it, looking to score. Martinelli gets to the byline, exactly the same position as Robertson. Where's Lacazette? He's not within the width of the posts. He's hiding behind a centre-back. And even if he can get the ball, like he's facing the wrong way. And again, it's not to kill Lacazette and Ramsdale. It's just that was the difference on the night. It, It could easily have gone the other way. Like... Um, And that's the story
1: of big games. I mean, it really is, right? I mean, like the United Spurs game, like neither team was very good, but Cristiano Ronaldo scores three goals. Yeah. And that's it, you know? It
2: could, you know, it could easily be the other way around. Jota could be rocking on his heels when Thiago puts that ball through. He's not. Ramsdale could save it. He doesn't. Erdogan, like Alisson, could go down early and Erdogan could lob him. He didn't. Um, Lacazette can be on the six-yard line looking to attack the ball. He's not. Those, Those exact incidents like that is exactly where the game was won and lost and I really think it's that simple on the night
1: yeah I, it is it is the case that this team I think has found its has found the level it needs to find in terms of possession controlling the ball building play getting to the attacking third creating threat but in terms of turning that threat into clear chances and converting that, I think there is still more ceiling here. Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to say this is one of those nights where the coach can say, "I've done my job." Done my job. Yeah. I-, I I need you to keep them out and put them in. It's interesting. I was listening to a podcast about Brighton today, and like Brighton, in terms of like final third entries, are like fourth in the Premier League because they're so good, like their structure's so good. They're so good at building up. But when it comes to like possession turned into shots, they're 11th. So it's a bit like you can see what Brighton's problem is, right? They're they're very well coached. They know what they're doing, but they don't have that person at the sharp end of the pitch. And I feel like we're like a luxury Brighton.
1: Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, right, if if I think about like construction, I said this on the instant reaction, the coach is the architect, right? Does the blueprints and things like that. And then the players are the actual builders, right? They go out there and they put the blueprint in action. The blueprint looks perfect right now. And there's just that little 10%. But Clive, one of the things that's so important with these measuring stick type games, you know, is to measure the distance you've come. Because in an individual game, it can be hard to kind of say, were we better, were we worse? I want to just bring up a game. It's the home game against Liverpool last season, okay? And it was played on April the 3rd. We lost it 3-0. The expected goals were 2.2 to 0.3. We were outshot 16-3. to 3. We were outpossessed 64% to 36%. And you fast forward to this game, where the XG was much closer to even, but where the possession was much closer to even. Shots were 9-9. to We held Liverpool to the second fewest shots they've had all season besides one game against Manchester City. And... <clears throat> all the metrics you look at, you see a game that was contested in a very even way. And in some cases contested in a way where Arsenal were superior, except for on the score sheet. And I, I get it. There are going to be people that say, oh, is that the only play?" Like I get it, but <laughs> bear with us here a little bit. Clive, I mean, in terms of the direction of travel and in terms of the distance we've come, I don't think you have to squint the city game and the Liverpool game, two games, that maybe next season we win them instead of complaining about the injustice or the missed moments. But I think they both show the distance we've come in terms of where we were previously in these kinds of in the, in clashes against the best teams.
3: Yeah, I, I love this game. I, I tell you, I had, had a good yeah, view. Had a good view. Yeah, I'm concerned, right? Um, because I love football, but but I'm, I'm my love for the game is becoming deeper and deeper. I just <laughs> I'm, I, I need to have kind of a word in myself, right? Because I absolutely loved it. I mean. I walked into this game thinking I knew Liverpool, but I, I didn't know them. I didn't appreciate what they have and what they do. Um, from an Arsenal perspective, we all know where we're heading, but let's take a look at the opposition for a second, right? So, when we talk about Liverpool, we, think, we talk about their four-three-three. We talk about their three forwards. What we don't talk about is their rotation, defensive rotation, how they move from zone to zone, how the number eight's going to fall back how their fullbacks go high, how they rock that on occasion, one centre mid in, how they Thiago drops between the two centre backs and makes it a 3v2, so kills Lacazette and Odegaard from the press. Then they rotate around on the other side, then they go long, then they sprint through, then they come short. I mean, I'm watching this. It was like watching a set of piano keys go up and down. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we were doing something similar, by the way. We look incredibly modern, incredibly well coached, incredibly well structured. We were reading their moves until we didn't. Do you know what I mean? And and in that moment, we got chin twice. But I walked away thinking, wow, this is fantastic. Okay, Clive, get over yourself. What do we need to do? And I looked at Lil and I could not, and Tim, I'm sure he'll agree with me, I couldn't believe their size. I couldn't believe how tall they were, how physical they were. How Talk about counter-fouling. didn't get started, just fouling, bang, as soon as got it. It was incredibly quick and incisive. I mean, I didn't want to book them. Do you know what I mean? It was so well done. I had so, so physical, so intense. And then they calmed down. I mean, Van Dyke, I swear he didn't even break into a sprint in the game. I swear he didn't do it. He almost discourages you by saying, go on then. And then you just don't. Because his aura of a 29-year-old was just... It just just transmitted itself. And and within this framework, we still had the bravery, composure, the patterns, the coaching, the belief, the speed. We had everything to match them until we didn't. Do you know what I mean? And I think... So for us now, when we're thinking about, you know, what I always do, I think about the next step, the next mm-hmm. signings, mm-hmm. It, it did it did bring a couple of things to mind that weren't there before. You know, I we all know the weaknesses in, in the group and we all know we need to add some depth. But what type of player profile do we need to add? Is it more intelligence? Is it more pace? Is it more size? I think there's an open debate here, but Liverpool showed exactly how far we've come. Because when we played City, I felt we were playing ourselves. It was a mirror, and it was just wonderful to watch. When you play Liverpool, you're playing a like sort of a combination. they they got the City, well-coached, power, intensity, but they're far more territory-driven. They're far more rotational from a defensive point of view, and they're far more direct. And so to see Liverpool is, for me, the measuring stick... Because that's what you need to overcome. If you can overcome them, there's no one else you, you we need to deal with. If we can overcome that, we'll be absolutely fine. And that's why I found the game last night yeah. so exciting, so exciting.
1: There was a really interesting tactical battle in this game too, though, Paul. Like, the funny thing is, it's played at such a fast pace and it's so physical. And and Liverpool, you know, you, you look at them and there's, there's this sense that, that, you know, it's just pressing and energy. But like, the tactics by both managers, really interesting. There was a chess game here. So, like, I was surprised that Mane started on their right, our left, and Diaz on our right, their left. And actually, I thought it did us a favor. Cedric was able to play, I thought, really well in the first half, getting into the attacking half. We built good moves up that side, but they also shifted a lot of their energies to shutting down the Odegaard and Saka partnership. And so we got the ball into those zones, but they weren't having any joy playing their one-twos or getting beyond them, and I thought that that was a... A, a design by Liverpool and they were shifting a, a, a midfielder over there to help shut that pod down. In the second half, we saw them shift Mane over to the other side. We know what happened over there, not to mention that they started to slide Henderson forward a little between the lines and Mane almost had the, well, he had the goal, the offside goal, and it's very offside, but the first time that Henderson really got on the ball between the lines, they're a weird team because they can be very effective without relying on their midfield to do stuff, but the way they tweaked it so that Tiago and Henderson both were able to create chances in the second half was interesting. Sticking with the first half, though, how do you how do you think about that sort of chess match and the fact that they weren't, you know, they didn't have Mane down our right hand side and that allowed us to get forward. But I, I felt like they put a lot of emphasis into shutting down that that route to goal, the the Odegaard and Saka partnership, and as a result, they weren't necessarily at the at their absolute best, like we've seen the last couple of day, uh, couple of games.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, the Robertson interview at the end of the game, uh, you know, he said Saka and Martinelli uh, worked them really hard, um, and in particular, he pointed out he had to do a lot of defending. Robertson had to, yeah, um, and so it wasn't until really the second half that that Robertson got into a position to do to have some impact at the other end. Uh, and in the Tiago goal, well, it's very significant because I th- believe it's Robertson's on the touchline and we all think that's where the ball's going. tiago has got the ball. He's got Robertson free. Cedric is watching him, ready to cheat and kind of make the dart out there. And that's kind of the problem. We actually have four players around Jota who gets the ball. We have two midfielders, Party and Saka, ahead of him. And we've got uh, White and Cedric right beside him. But White's watching Mane. And Cedric is standing on Jada, but he's watching Robertson, who's in lots of space. That's where he thinks the ball's going. That's where the ball should be going. Cedric darts, but but uh, Thiago's got it spotted, and he zips it up between the two of them. But at that exact moment, Mane sprints inwards, taking White with him. And it's only two, two yards White goes, because White can see the danger too. And Cedric sees the danger two yards after he darts. But now they've left that gap for Jota. And the other thing that they talk about at the end of the game, Tiago talks about it, is hitting the half spaces in the second half. So mm-hmm. they were looking they were looking basically for this coordinated movement. It's kind of to, to Clive's point. We were on it till we weren't. Mm-hmm. We had it in the first half till we didn't. And like that blink of an eye, those coordinated movements from those two guys, uh, Jota and Mane, um, was the thing that kind of opened up the gap. And suddenly Thiago, uh, and all three of them know what they're doing at the same moment. Thiago knows it before they've made the runs. But at the exact moment, they all basically split that defense. Just a couple of yards, the ball's up through. And we're kinda of undone. And yeah. that to me difference between the first half and the second half. They definitely blocked Saka as the danger man. They they knew about Martinelli, but he got at them time and time again. That ball from Ramsdale or the ball from Party or Chaka or uh combinations with Tierney. that was our that was our side where we had the space and Saka pulled them towards them. And in many ways, yes, they blocked us on the right side, but that opened opened them up a little on the on our left side. And we had a great first half. They'd, they would admit that. They did admit we had the upper hand in the first half. Gary Neville believed we had the upper hand in the first half. Coming off with our, our real mistake in this game was we didn't come in at 1-0 because then that changes that whole dynamic in the second half. You can't have that much success against Liverpool at home and not punish them in the yeah. first half. Yeah, I it, mean... you're not yeah. going to hold them off for for 90 minutes, and being 1-0 down to Liverpool is a bad look.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and I think the the reality is that, like, these, these games, and I, I said it before, <clears throat> but I really believe it, we are now at the level where we can play these teams and it's just the big moments. In the City game, the big moments went against us because of the referees, and in this game, the big moments went against us. Maybe just a little bit of that quality to trust yourself. And like, I, I said this on the instant reaction, maybe it's wrong. There's pressure. Liverpool have lived with the pressure of competing for titles in Champions Leagues for three, four seasons now, and their players are 27, 28, 29. And our players have not had that pressure. They've been sitting mid-table, not to rub it in, and they're 20. And so when the key moment comes... You know, Martinelli curls it just outside the far post. When the key moment comes, the Odegaard Saka one-two isn't quite where it should be because we haven't been living with the pressure of these big moments. In most of these big games in the previous years, we just were blown away. We weren't on the on the pitch with them. Now we're on the pitch and we're playing them even. And this is great preparation because the big moments are going to come and we're going to need to make the most of them. Um, and I don't want to over-index that because, you know, that that comes with time. I think there is. You can use age as an excuse and experience as an excuse, but I I do think it is a part of the process. And Tim, I, I don't want to go on any further without talking about what I think was, you know, the story of the the first half, and that's Gabriel Martinelli. Uh-huh. I don't know if I've ever really made my opinions known about the player, <laughs> but quietly, secretly, where I don't express it, I have I have been a fan.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. <same>. Um
1: <laughs> I don't know why there's some holdouts on Martinelli. I don't know if it's genuine doubt. I don't know if it's because, let's face it, there's another very popular young academy player that he's kind of keeping out of the side right now who is also very good and deserves to play and had a great cameo. Um, I think it's easy to forget. This guy breaks onto the scene by scoring an end-to-end goal down to 10 men against Chelsea and then misses a year at a critical developmental period with a meniscus tear. But like, since he's coming to the side, we've been better. And if you want to yeah. say he hasn't always been great, there's a straight line you can draw between Martinelli becoming a starter and Arsenal becoming a fantastic team. Now, I'm not saying that's all him, not remotely, but I don't think you can deny the link. In this game, it was sort of another star turn, and I'm I'm disappointed for him that the cutback from the byline didn't get tapped in or the uh, the curled shot didn't go in because I think he deserved a little end product for the performance. Mm. But in terms of what he offers us if we get to be you know back in Europe and things like that, because I think... Saka and Odegaard's a great path to breaking down those low blocks. But in games against teams that will come at you more or where there's a little more space, I think what we see is that Martinelli is a unique weapon in these in these kinds of contests.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's exactly why we saw that. I, I mean, essentially what Liverpool were able to do, they really concentrated on Saka and Odegaard, which is a great complement to both of them. But again, the reality is that's because they were kind of fine leaving Lacazette alone. Um, and again that's just a brutal reality but Martinelli yeah you're right when you're kind of playing on the counter, broken play because he can beat players and when there's space to work in and I I said on the last pod I I think he's gotten so good at going on the outside of his man and beating his man and you know I've been saying on this podcast for ages since he arrived that there's a dribbler in this player we haven't we hadn't really seen it yet and it doesn't always look aesthetically like it's not Ronaldinho-esque dribbling but he can get the ball from A to B by hook or by crook and actually sometimes it kind of is there were some nice you know very deliberate nutmeg on um on Jordan Henderson everything about that move was thought out right through to him putting his foot on the ball mm-hmm. and facing away from the goal that was all in mind of i'm going to nutmeg you but to like the the nutmeg relies on the element of surprise so i'm just going to play dead for a minute i'm going to play possum for a second make you think i'm going to go backwards and then when you relax bang i'm gone and that's, you know, a lot more thought goes into that than I than I think people realise. But he he was, again, sensational. I, I think um maybe one of the reasons people are slightly more lukewarm on on him than perhaps you or I are, Elliot. I, I think it's just a question of taste because um point, Martinelli, yeah. he's he's a volume player. He's he's like Sanchez, right? I was looking at um I, I wrote something about him today, so I was looking <laughs> no, at his data, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was looking at his data and like his passing completion rates at like seventy percent, and I'm I'm sure that's probably the lowest um, of of anyone who starts regularly, and it's that old Sanchez thing again, isn't it? What what do you want? Do you want a guy that passes the ball at a ninety percent clip, or do you want the guy who maybe loses the ball trying things? Um, and so, but, but also a lot of the things I kind of looked at his, his number of pressures are down, but he's winning the ball back more often. And I know pressing isn't just about winning the ball back. It's kind of about manipulating your opponent as well, but his number of shots have gone down, but he's scoring more. So like you can see that with a bit of rhythm and a bit of game time that He's beginning to get he like he's beginning to be more selective, which is something Arteta's spoken about. And I think really the the step for him that I saw him take forward last night is: Do you remember that comment from Arteta a couple of months ago after he scored against West Ham, where he said something like he still tries to uh, play at a hundred miles an hour all the time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And and like he it, now he's picking his moments more. But I also think that. What Arteta really wants is for each player to dominate their zone, their little zone on the pitch. I think that's like a big part of positional play. Whereas Martinelli was, and this isn't a criticism really, like he was all over the place in terms of he was everywhere. And I think what Arteta's trying to coach him is, I, I want you on the left being like explosive, but only when the ball comes to the left. I don't need you running over to the center of the pitch and and chasing people. Like we've got someone who's going to press. Like Erdogan will press in the center. Like stay there. And I think the other thing that he's really beginning to get now is when to when and and he's not quite there yet. But when to stay wide and when to come in. And now we know he can beat his fullback, so we know he can go out to that touchline, receive the ball, and take on. The fullback, and that, and that's like some of the gears I think he's beginning to find in his game. Because when you look at other inside forwards, Arteta's worked with Sterling, Sane, that's what they were like. They were like <coughs> Sterling knew when to beat his fullback on the touchline. And then when to be in the six-yard box, ready for a cutback or something like that. And that's, I think we that's where we're seeing Martinelli develop now. And it's it's really really great to see. But in principle, yeah, I agree with you. This game probably suited him more than say Watford did. Albeit against Watford, what does he do? He comes inside at the right moment and scores the winning goal from outside the box. And that's that's kind of that's how you judge him really um, on what what he does in the last kind of 25 yards of the pitch. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it, he was, he was our best player, I think by some distance.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And it, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause there are some games where I find myself a little frustrated that he doesn't have someone to spark off of in that left-hand channel, the same way that like Odegaard and Saka have each other. But there's, there's some design there too, I think, because he's a player that I think if you get him into space and don't bring defenders over to him, you see, no one can live with him. He's got, a, I don't know if he's as pacey as like a Theo was certainly not, but like over his first four or five steps, his burst is outrageous. And, you know, Liverpool did, in the second half, bring a second player over to him. And he kind of ran out of steam a little bit because it it just became more, you know, running down blind alleys. But sometimes you you get a player evaluation wrong too because I think there's a sense that he's not technically quite as good. And then there's that moment in the middle of the pitch. he, He sort of carries it into midfield and he's under immense pressure. There's three guys around. And he just pirouettes and twirls and twists and touches and twists and... Finally, I think slides it back to to Tierney and gets a huge ovation. But like he's he's real good in tight spot and he's real strong. You know, Ramsdale's gonna come in for some criticism, sure. Some of his passing in this game was amazing. He just missed Saka with the long ball. That was one of the best I've ever seen. But he hit Martinelli time and time and time again up the left. And Martinelli has the strength to hold a man off. Both Saka and, and Martinelli just look bigger and stronger in there. They're becoming men for this league in a way that maybe they weren't just a season ago. Clive, I, I don't want to shut you out of the Martinelli conversation because I just think, you know, when a young player like this, I mean, it's, it's easy to forget, 20 years old. We say it with Saka. You know, we should say it with Martinelli. When a player like this shines in a big spot like this, and I am sick to death of Klopp praising him, just shut up. Shut up, Klopp. We get it. Um, I, I just... I sort of wonder, you know, how bright the future can be because you've got small space connecting player in sack and Odegaard who can pick the passes, find find the final ball, and then you've got this sort of explosive end product guy in Martinelli. The balance is beautiful, but I'm curious if, you know, watching from the beautiful seats that you had, if you could see, you know, how he was able to exploit Trent Alexander-Arnold because he had him on toast all night.
3: Yeah, I thought I thought Arsenal switched to play really really nicely. And this is where they were really intelligent when they progressed the ball through midfield. They had opportunities to switch, and they had players that could do it. You know, Shaka did one. They were just switching from side to side. So if, if everything tilted over to Martinelli's side, they switched over to Saka. Liverpool are very good at travelling, you know, shuffling across. Henderson did really well to try to help out Trent. On occasions, he got a bit high and left him one on one, and when he did. Uh, Martin nearly went straight through. So um, he's very quick. I I love how he... um, I love his aggressive intent. So he sees the space around you. and He's got different ways to attack it. You know, I love players that say... Their whole body language says, I'm going around you, behind you. And everything I'm doing is saying to you, that's where I'm going. So I'm running at you first to fix you. Now what am I going to do? And I just thought he did it really, really well. I thought Trent tried really hard... He's just not very good at backward shuffling and showing people one side. He's just not very good at it. And that's why they doubled up. But, you know, there is still a gap for these young 20-year-olds to go. Shock. They're not fully developed yet. And it was very apparent to me watching that game when there was a group of 29-year-olds and a group of 20-year-olds. And I'm afraid some of the 29-year-olds, they have a very, very good. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you can't close that gap until Mother Nature takes over. You know, there are just some things you can't do consistently every three or four days. Liverpool have that experience they have that wisdom they have that economy you know in their game you know i I even talked about Liverpool as a high pressing team or obviouslyley but I saw I saw many times them just walking around, taking it cool, slowing the tempo and not just basically going a million miles an hour like they did probably three four years ago. I thought it looked really good. And I thought we learned something from them. And that's the most important thing. We must learn something from this. And, you know, I think these players will. I hope it doesn't drain them of anything. I I didn't think it felt it drained the crowd. I I felt the crowd were okay (laughs) accepting, but okay, while knowing – the next time we enter a football pitch is very important. I thought the you know support
1: I mean? right to full time and even after full time was sensational. I mean, singing the whole time.
3: Yeah, well, it, it's been like this way for a while and it, it was good. But, you know, I'll be, I'll be, well, maybe it's just me I'm talking for. I'm watching it thinking, uh, you know, I hope we've got some legs left for Saturday. That's the most important thing. I felt the substitutions were earmarked for Saturday, in my own opinion. But there's still a step earlier, despite the promise i'm telling you mate man on man body on body we've got a little way to go and the additions are going to have to close this because your first thing you said about the combination play on the left hand side i thought tierney was excellent but the, he needs something else in a center forward position he needs connections he can't be a lone soldier just running around people and yeah. having no one to pass through that that can't happen
1: you know what? Really, there, there were just a couple of moments, Paul. You can come in here too, but just a couple of moments that bothered me with the Lacazette Martinelli thing in particular. Because there's the one where he gets to the byline, the nutmeg byline. Tim mentioned it right. He slides it across the corridor of uncertainty, and Lacazette's marking himself behind the nearest defender. Um, I don't, I don't know if he could do better on the on the the error where it's given to him in the box. And I do think Allison does a great job to follow him, so he can't round him. But the one that did really did kind of annoy me is the really smart, quick taken free kick by Martinelli where Lacazette's just not, not on it. You know what I'm talking about? It's a quick-free-quick. Yeah. He slides it through. Lacazette is there. I mean, that any striker that wants to score goals should absolutely be eating that up and totally on the same wavelength. And I just think, Paul, that maybe there is no question in my mind that the good football we are playing owes a lot to what Lacazette is doing but the balance of how much he is willing to just not see himself as a goal scorer is maybe off a little bit. And in terms of some of the near post runs that we're missing, or not being alive on that um, on that uh, free kick, you know, it, it's just, a, you know, and I know Tim compared it with what Firmino does uh, to get to the near post for his goal. But you know what I mean? Because those are combinations that were, I think something should have come from them. And and maybe, just maybe, Lacazette's a little too prepared to just be a facilitator now. Now the other thing I will point out is he is a guy who earlier in the season we questioned his fitness and his fitness levels have been beyond question lately but this is the first time we've had to play a couple games in a few days and maybe he's feeling the effects because it's also a very, very physically testing game when you play Liverpool. I'm not trying to make excuses but I mean that 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 was a disappointment I thought.
4: Yeah, look, uh, Lacazette's so important with our patterns of play up to and into the box, but he's never been—he's he, never had that role. I don't think where his job is just ruthless striker. Not at Arsenal, um, not before at Lyon, unless I'm remembering that wrong. But he was very much part of a, a, an attacking two. He's a technical player. He he builds, creates. Um, you know he's got good technical precision when he's when he's got his shooting boots and he's in form within the box, but they're always clever shots. They're, like he doesn't get the cheap, gritty uh, beat everybody to the ball. You know he, he's not a header of balls. You don't have to be six foot four to be winning headers in the box. It's that's not his game. He's good at, at getting in there mixing it, flopping, uh, diving. Been physical, etc. But the actual being a ruthless killer to get his toe on the ball, the f- what we saw from Firmino or Ajata or whatever, just getting pole position in the most aggressive uh, and kind of deadly spots in the box, not his A game, but it's, you know, you, you're up against Matip and uh, VVD they're really good at blocking you from those spots. Unless you got something a little extra, you don't find yourself in those spots. It's definitely the opportunity for us in the next season to go to a new level because um, we don't have that guy who makes that run. That was Aubameyang. <laughs> that was his role within the team. And that just didn't quite happen for us over the last six, 12 months. But, like, what does Obama Yang really be, bring? He brings popping up in the right spot at the right moment and a lot less of the other stuff. Of course, we're looking for the striker who can do it all help with the build up play and be the guy who gets the run to the, the near side post, uh, pipping the defender. Um, yeah, in this game. Look, we nearly did it with Lacazette. And like I think we'll all, we'd all all want to say, like let's not be ungrateful to the guy. He's been absolutely instrumental in how we play and in this good football and in the fact that we should have been 1-0 up in the first half, you might say. You could certainly argue we were in the frame for being 1-0 up. Um, so <clears throat> t- tremendous credit to him. On the other hand, yeah, he lacks the out-and-out killer striker instinct, and we need that in the box. Because Martinelli, Saka, like we want goals from wide, and and Martinelli may turn into that killer over the next year, two years, three years, and Saka may. At the moment, they're just very good creators and goal scorers. We still need a killer somewhere in the team.
1: Mm, I mean, I I agree with you, and I I think it's... it's I, I the reason I, I singled out the one the the quick free kick one is that that
4: that's shark probably, in the water. It's instinct, right? Yeah, you yeah. Just,
1: that's that's where you show that you're, you you want to score a goal. You know what I mean? You just, look
4: at Jota's run for the Thiago goal. It's just like it, it's absolute. What is it? Chum in the water for mm-hmm. a shark. He's just he's fucking gone. That's it. He's gone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and like it's. It's funny, right, because on the one hand, I think we are in a situation with this team where the players who we might regard as maybe being upgradable are still doing very important, valuable things for the team. So there's a sense of not wanting to, like, pile on to them, which we certainly shouldn't do, because they're doing valuable things for the team. And yet there's little moments like that, Tim, right, where you, where you look and, like, I, I look at that first half and I feel we, you know, we, we, I, I hate the word deserve because you don't deserve anything in football, right? But the play mm. deserved more. We left and, money on
4: the table, right?
1: Yeah, and mm. and and you know where that where that missing final moment is. It's you know it's pretty straightforward.
2: Yeah, es- essentially, my big takeaway from this game is that we didn't really learn anything um, from this game. I mean, to to Clive's point, there's plenty for the players to learn, but I mean the rest of us, we learned that Liverpool were. Uh, are excellent and Arsenal are good. That's that's what we learned. And so we're looking at how do we get to excellent. And, you know, look at Liverpool's only j- own journey. They didn't get there overnight. It, it took them a little while. They had some, you know, they had some crazy topsy-turvy games with us. I mean, you might remember that 3-3 in 2017 where they were 2-0 mm-hmm. up and then they were 3-2 down, 3-3. Last night, you know, again, to Clive's point about that kind of, just that muscle memory they've got as soon as they went 1-0 up, Like you just sense they had they had their palms firmly on our forehead and we were kicking away and we couldn't reach them. And and you just sometimes sometimes you just feel things when you watch a game and as soon as they went one nil up, I was like, right, yeah, they're in control now. They they know they know how to see this out. Like I never really harboured any realistic ambition of a of a comeback at that point. At that point I was just like I just kind of hope Liverpool shake hands on this and don't decide to win three or four nil. That was honestly, that was my biggest concern for the last 20 minutes was we don't deserve a shoeing here. Let's not get one. Um, but but yeah, and I don't
1: think either team was up for that, right? I don't. I think no. we sort of lost the hunger for the fight a little, and I think Liverpool yeah, well, kind of knew it was job yeah,
2: yeah, we turned to Saturday. They've got loads of games. They're still in the Champions League. Like <clears throat> it, it didn't. It was in no one's interests, really. It was, I
1: think the subs showed that too, by the way. And yeah. and it was really good. I thought intelligent game management because yeah. playing well and losing to Liverpool is not a big deal unless you get a red card, you get an injury, you're too fatigued, and then you also lose to Villa as a result of it you know
2: yeah yeah and and I think I said that uh, on the pod last week right let's not kill ourselves losing this game um so that we end up dropping points to Villa and obviously that could still happen um but but we we all know where we need to get better we all know we haven't got like terrible pieces in this team anymore we've got like Jacques is doing fine in the left eight role he's he's not doing anything wrong Lacazette I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say not doing anything wrong. There are things he's he's doing wrong, and I do think, as much as I think, uh, we all know the deal with Lacazette, and we all know it's coming to an end and everything. So it's not much of a talking point. But like, if I were Arteta, I would be saying, look. I, I'm not ready to just shake hands on on you doing this. Like, you're still our player. I still want to improve you before the end of the season. And you cannot just think that your role is to set up goals now. Like, that's not how it works. We need you to score goals as well. I need you to feel the pressure to score as well as to create. You're doing the creative thing. Like, you're doing great, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, on all of that, that's all good. Like, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> but when Martinelli slides you through on goal don't miss it because you're ready to turn backwards thinking about how you're going to cushion the ball backward like you've got to vary your game a bit you cannot just think this is my game and that's it nothing else is my responsibility anymore so and and that's like again I don't mean that to be like really really harsh I'm sure that's the conversation that that players and coaches have I'm sure that Arteta or a member of his coaching staff is clipping that stuff up and saying look you, you you would have been through on goal here you've got to like sometimes you've got to be on the half turn like that is kind of your job as well you can't just go oh no that's not my job anymore like you, you've you got to, you've got to be sharper in those situations and you, you yeah. can't change people but that doesn't mean that you can't improve things like again like it's happening with the younger players right like Martinelli you know talking about getting better at beating his fullback and things like that that wasn't in his game until recently and that's because it was worked on. And just because you're 30 years old, it doesn't mean that you can't add those edges to your game. And, and yeah, he's, he's, he is what he is. And we have what we hold until the summer, but that doesn't mean that, um, that there shouldn't be kind of a bit more encouragement. Um, I'd call it behind yeah, the scenes. Well-
1: And I I think you can say this, he is very important to a lot of the ways we play, but at the moment that you say he's not going to turn and face goal, he's not going to make a run behind, or he's not going to, you know, get to the near post or whatever, then you, you know, you're making an argument to the coach, like, why shouldn't I play a Smith throw at false nine, right? Why can't I play Hmm. another? Because if you're just connective tissue, are you the best connective tissue? Maybe maybe you are.
2: You know. I've I've got another player that can do that. Who, by the way, scored more goals than you this season. Yeah, and, so- and really, again, the the brutal truth is Van Dijk, Matip, they left him alone, and they went and swarmed Saka and Erdgaard And again, it's it's not nice for a player to face up to, and it's probably a message you've got to deliver delicately. But there is an element, and and he'll know that. By the way, you know that when you're on a pitch, when someone's not worried about you, and that's you know that's got to be an element of pride as well. And it's a shame too, right? Because you
1: won't find another Arsenal player working any harder. You won't find another no, Arsenal player, you know, giving as much for the, the, the system. So I, I, I think that is important. But like, look, yep. if you know there's an area you can clean up or, or you can improve, you do it. And I, I, look, a great example is you may be a wonderful human being and maybe, just maybe, you can clean up your privates a little bit and that's an area you can improve. And if you're not doing it, Maybe someone else is going to take your place in the team. Someone else who's got nicer shaved privates, who's cleaned that area. Do you want to lose your spot for something as simple as not having the right product? That's a silly reason to get dropped. Don't get dropped. Get the privates in shape. Go to the manager. Drop your pants and say, look what I've done. I deserve my place. And the way to do it is with the lawnmower 4.0. It is the finest purpose-built trimmer I've ever used. And here's the thing, right? I, you know, we joke around about it, but like this is the thing you do. You trim your privates. You groom your body. So then you say, all right, what tool do I use to do that? I, I mean, I assume you're not using a Floby, right? I assume you're not using like shears, a box cutter. What are you using? Well, this thing has a long battery life. It works in the shower, it's got a bright LED light. It has ceramic blades with skin safe technology designed, not just for skin, but loose skin, because there are areas down there that may be a bit loose that you do not want to trim. You want to trim the hair, not the skin. Um, It has a button lock, it has induction charging, it's great. And then when you order, you can also get... There are other great products. They got a body wash. They got a great shampoo and conditioner with great scents. They got vegan cologne that, you know, it's uh, humane and all that. Good stuff that we love and care about. Comes with a shed travel bag. So you can get the performance package if you want. You can get the lawnmower 4.0. But the great news is when you use promo code Arsenal Vision at manscaped.com, you save 20% and get free worldwide shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, free worldwide shipping and 20% off. That's manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, 20% off, free worldwide shipping. And you won't get dropped for having too many pubes, he says biting his tongue. Now, the other reason you won't get dropped is because you're the best. And the reason you're the best is because they used Indeed to hire you. But if you don't have the best and you need to hire, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the only hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. The only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, which sucks. God, does it suck. Hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. With instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. So you get exactly what you need. Then you can invite them to apply right away, and you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Seems like an obvious thing, but not everyone does it. I love this. According, uh, According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Wow. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posted indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com. Nope. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply, you need to hire. You need indeed Clive not number that. Indeed. Nailed it. Clive. I can think of players that improve. Mm. I can think of players that improve like Saka. I can think of players that improve like Odegaard. I can think of players that improve like Martinelli. but I cannot think of a player who I have seen improve so much, not to say that he wasn't good, but my goodness, at 28 years old, wherever the hell he is, Thomas Partey is incredible. And on a pitch with a lot of talented players who have won the European Championship and won the Premier League, he's the best player in the center of that pitch. Arteta gives him the whole center of the pitch. He can do it against Watford. He can do it against Liverpool. They can't take the ball off him. They can't beat him. He plays the right pass. He's progressive. He's clever. He's physical, but he's technical. He has just grown into such an extraordinarily important piece of what we do. I think as great and eye-catching as Martinelli was, you could make an argument for Thomas Party being the man of the match because you're talking about operating in an area that Liverpool are uniquely good at dominating. And he dominated it, I don't want to say all on his own. It's not like it wasn't a team performance, but my goodness, did he do it so well. And I think, you know, I've, I've invoked Aaron Ramsey here before where there are some players that need a run in the side. To hit their best level, and I think the combination of the role Arteta has given uh, a party and the fact that he's staying fit now and getting to play game in game out, we're really seeing all the all the promise uh, be realized. I thought this was a sensational game from party, and I'm curious, you know, from your vantage point, if there was anything you saw him doing that that really jumped out at you in particular because he's he's got the he has that knack. For understanding when he can afford to take an extra touch or a turn or a trick versus when he has to play it safe. You know, some midfielders, it's a wall pass right back to the defender. Some midfielders turn into trouble or get it taken from him. He just he just seems to have such a good, intelligent read of the game for when when to do what.
3: Yeah, he let he leapt out of the pitch to me. Um I thought what he's doing, if you look at Arsenal, I've been saying for a little while that we play we play a diamond, in my opinion, right? So that diamond expands and contracts. So Lacazette squeezes in, Odegaard starts wide, squeezes off the side, or stays wide depending on where we're building up. We building up from fullback, he stays out there, creates a wide triangle. If party has the ball, he squeezes in, and and Shaka does that up to a point. Where he squeezes in and and closer to create a little bounce pass and gets the next pass out, second phase. So there's a cohesion there to how we play in central areas and it's very, very good. He's really good. But part is the one that fixes the problems for me. So if something goes wrong in our movement, the timing's wrong, and he has to hold it for another two seconds till the lane appears. He can do it and keep it. So if a line's blocked, he can shape it, move it, step someone on and then still find the pass. And I think... Uh, Liverpool had a few of those players, and we had had one that really stood out in the middle of the pitch, and I thought he was the equal of any of their central midfielders. In fact, the respect they paid him grew during the game. I will say, I, I thought at the start of the game, he looked a little bit injured. And I started to like, really worry. He does sort of. I was something. worried he was
1: injured at the end of the game.
3: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't catch that bit, but I watch his watch his space because was Ben White was trying, pulling his hamstring a little bit and and party. And this is again, this is what I said last night. the a reaction. Three games, six days. This is us. This is what we want to be next year, and we can't be it with the same eleven. We and. You know no matter how painful it is right now we have to be thinking about what you know Thomas' party come off the pitch in some games you know we have to at the moment we don't none of us want that you know but it's we have to think about it you know and um we have to make sure we have those backfills in place to see Firmino and Sarah on the debate last night was quite depressing at one 0 and um and we're we're bringing on Eddie etc and you know again we love Eddie um but we know the drill we got a step we got a step to go there, right? So um so for me, I, I think we ask a lot more of him than Lil asked Fabinho, for example. Um they ask him to be positionally correct, to be there, to be a release. They don't ask him to have as many touches that are complex. They build up in different ways. They ask him to make sure that no one passes primary job. If my centre backs are balled out to the touchline, you just drop right in the middle there defensively. If you just go and kick someone, do it in a way where you look innocent, hey, so you don't get booked. Unlike Credit Shako, historically has happened. He's not been able to to mask that in the same way, and it's a very cute watching. But for me, party in that role, the way he's playing it, if you, I've seen this before. If you look around the league, you know the way he's playing that role and our dependency upon him and how we overburden him. I think he's playing it as well as anybody else in the league and you know, and just 4 months ago 3 months ago people were saying i hope he goes to the african nations because it makes mm-hmm. us stronger and that's how football can change so quickly people's opinions you know so um mm-hmm. but stay consistent you know for me he's a top player that just needs to be fit consistently and once he's found his fitness he and his role he's found his form
1: yeah yeah i mean i I, I have to say, right, like one of the things that's unfortunate about sort of our internet culture and look, it's just the reality, right? If you put your thoughts out there and they wind up being wrong, people are going to come back and say, ha they're wrong. And like, it, it is the case that once you've expressed an opinion about a player being good or not good, if they wind up being the opposite, you're going to hear about it a lot. And like, I just like being able to come on this pod and say, I am absolutely infatuated with what Thomas party is doing. And Paul, I would say like. I think you have to go back to Santi Cazorla to see a time when Arsenal could boss a midfield because of the quality of one player. I mean, midfield has been a persistent, really catastrophic issue for Arsenal for a while. We don't win the title, uh, the, the Leicester season, because of the midfield, right? We we fall out of the Champions League places because, in my view, because of midfield. And what Thomas Party is doing now has allowed us to move the whole thing up the pitch, your toothpaste thing noted. You don't have to say it, um, and toothpaste. do it with one. <laughs> and do it with one guy who's really handling the load. And so I think, you know, when we went and spent the money on him, the idea was for this to make sense. Age curve taps the mug, right? Squad building taps the mug. He had to sort of solve the midfield issues for us. And guess what? It's exactly what he's doing. He was the best player on that pitch. I can't think of a team. He wouldn't improve with what he's doing right now, and so, Paul. I just, I just think when you look at midfield and Arsenal's challenges in that area for so long, man he he has really, really opened the door to the players that we want to feature: the Odegaard's, the Sackas, the Martinellis, to be where they need to be to hurt the opposition. And and so, I don't think we can speak highly enough. And in this game, some of the touches under pressure and some of the decision making, you know, because. It's one thing to do it when you're not being put under pressure, but he was, he was an immense pressure. And man, he, he nailed it.
4: Yeah, he's been brilliant. And I agree with, we talked about this a little bit uh, on the pod yesterday. Like, he's in, the, he's in an elite group of midfielders uh, in this league. And Clive referenced this. Like, he's, he's right there. He's in the top couple of midfielders you can pin your midfield on. Like, you can't play this football we're playing as front-loaded, as front-footed as we are now without a Thomas Partey in your midfield. There's only a couple of other guys. You know, um, I started the exercise yesterday live of who else is in that elite group. Like, you you have your Fabinho's, maybe Rodri, but I don't know. Like, he's got Man City around him. Uh, that sure lightens the load in terms of, of uh, the pressure on one guy uh Declan Rice um I don't know if like he he's brilliant he's he's at that level can he do everything party can do I don't I don't know um but can party do everything Rice can do like well and Rice is going to be what a hundred million for United or
1: something in the in the summer that's the level he's at you know
4: yeah um but like that's it you're down to who who are the Two, three guys who can hold a midfield is never single-handed, but in a sense, allow you to front load so much that it feels like the guy's doing it single-handed. Um, now he has a, a credit a quick bit of credit to me, old mate Chaka. He's pretty generous as a midfield partner. Uh, and I think we saw this right from the get-go. Like he he's He's okay with party being the guy and him taking this other role. And and like so there are other things going on in midfield and the work rate that, that Ottagaard does dropping in and helping out and are defending from the front all makes this possible. This isn't a one-man show at the end of the day. And when you look at City, when you look at Liverpool, you realize uh, and we're hearing it from Clive and Tim from the stadium, the, the number of coordinated movements the the understanding, the development in the team um, that enables that to happen. But there's no other midfield we could drop in here. Maybe in the last decade, who can do what Party's doing? The closest we would have got to is Arteta. Like he has the skills, Arteta had the skills and ability. What he didn't have was the same level of physicality, is the same ability to c- cover the pitch that Party does. Mm. I, I do worry uh with Clive that we're we're asking quite a lot of them at the moment. Like we're asking him to do everything and he's doing it. I don't know I don't know that I want to build a house on that, that that's the only way we can play. Like, because he does get the niggles and you can't be brilliant all the time. Like uh two games a week will impact tom's Party as well in terms of the stress that's on him. So we need other ways of playing, um, uh, as Clive pointed out, can so I ask you a question? Yeah,
1: because I'm I want to probe this just a little bit. Probe lol. Um, to your point, let's say Thomas Party wasn't available for a game. How do you think Arteta would try to maintain what we're doing without him, or would he be forced to go to more of like a double pivot with Samby and chat? Like, do you yep. think we are so reliant that if Party was out? We would not play this system, or do you think maybe he'd just give Shaka this role and put Smith Rowe in the? How do you, how do you think we'd handle missing him for a game?
4: Samby Chaka, uh, double pivot, um, we won't be quite as front loaded, but like we think we lose a player in the front line, we, we just re- readjust a little bit. Chaka doesn't push up so much, but Tierney does. And so we go back to a little bit more of a kind of a, an asymmetry with Tierney going forward on the left, Martinelli tucking in a little bit. It'll just be a little bit of a diff- uh, a different look. You wouldn't want to do it for five, 10 games, but for a game or two, it'll be totally fine, I think. I don't. Mm, yeah. but, but the only way we can play with this diamond that's, that's Clive referencing uh, with one guy at the base of it, uh, Thomas Party. Taken all the pressure, like as you said, this is against Liverpool. That's the air, area of the team of the pitch that those guys target to force the turnovers. Best play, playmaker in the world is those turnovers right there, and they got no change out of Thomas Party. He's brilliant. Um, he's a complete player. Um, we had debates early on about what his role would be. I kind of always saw him si- sitting deeper uh being able what's crazy
1: is he's getting to the top of the box and taking shots too paul like this is a box-to-box role with no one behind him it's wild
4: yeah he has his moments but he really is the the anchor in the midfield he does sit that little bit a bit deeper cover it all uh handle the pressure uh you think he
1: was our only player in this game that had two shots Am I right in saying maybe, or one other player may have as well?
4: Yeah, maybe. You know? Well, I guess there was um, only nine shots yeah. to go around well, on yeah. both sides. Both uh, sides, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe a quick point, like, that's really something. We kept Liverpool to nine shots. They're
1: second fewest of the season behind only City. And and so...
4: Our shape. And yeah. Thomas Party and those other guys, they're a huge part of us being able to keep that shape. That isn't the, totally just the back four. Yeah. Par- yeah. Party's probably the most important part of us being able to keep that shape.
1: Yeah, um, Tim. I want just a few things I want to pick out from the the end of the game and the, and you know the way it, it ultimately winds up going. I mean, firstly, their their opening goal, um, it's tough, right? Because there's a defensive lapse there, but it still should be saved. Obviously, I mean, I hate that that goes in. I hate it for Ramsdale, um, but I, I hate it for the team because also I think it was it was not the best chance. It was created by by a long shot, you know, it, but it does come from a little bit of a defensive lapse and i'm curious how you how you break down that moment i think the the issue with what cedric does there is he's sort of just he gets wider for no reason like he do, he he leaves the danger guy alone to just sort of track to a space where there's no one there but i think part of the reason is liverpool did make an interesting tweak and started to get tiago and henderson but in that instance tiago sort of between the lines which they weren't doing earlier and it it just pulled us a little bit out of our shape we didn't deny the the pass. We didn't keep an eye on the runner. And then it's a near post, you know, goal that that's a little soft. I mean, it, it's not a calamity. But do you see it sort of as a continuation of the thing with Cedric where, because I thought he had a great first half, where when he's up the pitch, we're really seeing some good stuff from him. But just in terms of some of his defensive positioning and awareness, when we're deeper, that's where he can be exploited. And they did it.
2: Yeah, yeah, like on that second goal, Saka goes to clear it and <clears throat> and excuse me, Cedric goes charging off. And uh, and in a way you can kind of understand that the ball breaks to Saka, Saka's in the right back position, and he's thinking, right, okay, that means I've got an offer uh, an outlet going forward, which he kind of does, but at the same time it's an incredibly difficult pass or clearance for Saka to pull off there. And, and I think really what he should have done was um, maybe given him a bit of an outball um, and just kind of kept his skates on and, and you know, made himself available for the pass. Probably not strictly within the patterns of play that they'd have trained for and things like that. But in that moment, it was just like, OK, Saka's going to have to really go some to get this up the line. So maybe I just stand parallel to him and give him a pass um, rather than, you know, bomb on and demand that he... Uh, not demand, but you know, but you expect know.
1: that he's going to get it pinpoint perfect in a yeah. very tight angle up against the touchline. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that just leaves an empty space and that, and you know, that creates stress. And, and, and that's the thing about that attack. I think a lot of it is just stress. And I think what happens like Gabriel loses the run of Firmino. And I think what, basically what happens is Arsenal get the initial attack clear. The ball runs to Saka and everyone just relaxes for half a second. Cause I think, okay, right. Saka's is going to clear it, but then it gets charged down and, and char- and there's a little bit of luck there in, as well in terms of usually when a player charges down like that, it just goes out for a goal kick. So I can kind of understand. It's still not sub-optimal, obviously, but I can understand why the defence at first just went, okay, this is clear, Whew, take a breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then nine times out of ten, Robertson charges that down and Arsenal get a goal kick and regroup. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from because then Gabriel just loses that Firmino run. And I think it's just... Half a second, they all kind of tuned out, thinking that the ball was going to go clear, and 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 it didn't. So it's 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 a mistake. Like it's a, it's a series of small mistakes, definitely. But I do think relatively forgivable within the context of the game. And I do think at that point, Liverpool were starting to put the squeeze on, and you did get this feeling that the game was going away from Arsenal. I th- I think there are a lot of like there are a lot of psychological ingredients. I think that led to some of those errors.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look. There's nothing scarier than playing the ball in tight spaces around your own box, but an interesting stat uh, from FB ref that 7 a.m. kickoff posted is we have the best record of any other team this season in terms of conceded possession after a pressure by the opponent. What that means basically is we don't concede possession when being pressed. We we keep, in in, in essence, we keep the ball better than anybody else under pressure. And, like, first of all, what a turnaround from who we've been in previous seasons. But mm. I think that tells you that, like, Arteta has really hammered into these players, keep it on the ground, play it, keep it on the ground, play it. But like to be fair, maybe there's a little bit of casualness creeping in there because there were times that I felt we created some challenges being a little too willing to play the ball under pressure. I mean, Ben White, in one case, <laughs> went on a, you know one of his little carries, his adventure out from the back and right into three Liverpool players and gave it right away. And I'm like, sometimes you can hoof it long, you know, just yeah, sometimes.
2: And, and I think a lot of it was, it, first of all, like, I guess just being a bit tired, thinking the ball's going out, but also like Saka is probably persuaded, not just by the run of Cedric, but by the fact that Arsenal are 1-0 down. It's a good point. That, yeah, got to get up the that, pitch. N- yeah, that naturally changes the decisions you take sometimes, particularly for like a younger player like Saka, where maybe he should have taken a beat, cut infield and just look for a pass and look for a way to pass out. Um, you know, it's, again, they're, they're yeah. all like, most other teams in the world wouldn't have punished that. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And or, you know, you kick it off the the defender and you and it goes out for for a throw. You know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. it bounces back to is just really unlucky as well. Um, Tim, I know we're about to lose you. I just want to ask you a question quickly that I will also pose to Clive. But since I think Clive is going to scowl at me and not answer, (laughs) I want to ask it to you first Um, because it's a it's a leading question. Let's be honest. Smith Rowe comes in for Odegaard, actually. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought he played well. I mean, the game was kind of yeah, dead. Yeah. I get it, you know. But I thought he played well. He looked really comfortable in that eight. He he dropped in and defended well. He he covered the ground well. He created some openings. I thought he looked really dangerous. And the only reason I bring it up is because the eight role is one of much debate. Maybe not so much the right eight that he played. I almost mm-hmm. wonder if it's very very intentional that he came on to Garden not Chaka because you know no reason for Arteta to give himself a headache. But seeing Smithrow play the eight. And do it really, really well, I thought. It just, look, I can I can tiptoe around what I'm trying to say, and I think you understand it, which is, yeah, yeah. It, it is an area for improvement eventually. I don't want to undermine the work of the player who is doing the left eight right now because it's important work. But when you watch Smith row in that in that slot, I'm curious what you thought of his cameo and the idea that maybe just maybe that's, that's a position he could play, you know, in the right games in certain situations, you know, maybe just on the other side.
2: at, At the moment, it would be my first substitution if we're chasing a goal um quite frankly yep. at the moment because yep. everything else is is kind of like and that is well it's not like for like it doesn't change the system but it's not like for like every other attacking change like pepe who do you bring him on for sacral martinelli that's kind of like for like and ketty for lacazette that's like for like unless you you know switch to a four four two or something which to be fair we kind of did against wolves but yeah and and yeah, Smith rowe for Jackal would be my first substitution in that in that scenario. And then and that's actually like a good time to give it a look. Because yeah, you could say, well, actually maybe we maybe we could do this more often. And when Smith Rowe played the ten, um, you know, Erdegaard when he plays it, he's he, he kind of stays on the right, right? But um Smith Rowe kind of goes across to both sides, but like I I thought he was when he played in the ten, particularly effective over on the left. Um I you know, I think a lot of we play inverted wingers, so kind of why not inverted uh number eights as well. So you've got like two right footers over on the left and two left footers over on the right. That strikes me as making some sense as well. I, I think it's absolutely worth a look. I wouldn't do it from the start yet unless I tell you what, if if Shaka picked up a small injury or something or a suspension uh let, let's say he gets injured in training today and we don't know about it and we're playing Villa on Saturday. I w I wouldn't complain at all if the decision was right. Instead of doing, you know, changing everything we're doing in midfield, like the you know, like what Paul was talking about, double pivot plus Erdegaard ahead of them, let's let's just keep rolling with this and, and play Smith Rowan there. I wouldn't complain about that at all. But I wouldn't necessarily drop Xhaka to do it yet. I don't think we're at that stage. I think we look yeah. at this from the bench and we start to make a decision from there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, again, I I think I've said this before, It it is really, really hard to say we should be changing anything at a time when we are playing so well and it is working. And it is easy to get individual focused and think that individual can be better and miss the fact that if the team is playing this well, do you really believe that taking an individual out who's a part of that is going to improve you? That may be the wrong way to think about it so i i am admittedly torn on that idea because i i think that there's still levels up we can go and need to go of course it should be a a, an effort to improve look mostly uh well let's do this let's let tim go and we'll finish off with some uh thoughts on the substitutions and a look ahead to villa but tim's on twitter thanks tim
2: my pleasure as always
1: Clive, I thought there was a good balance of, you know, not giving up the game. I don't think we gave up the game, but keeping an eye towards the weekend and the way we approached the substitutions. Um, I thought, first of all, it was great to get a look at Smithrow in that eight because I think it's a position he can play, but also getting Odegaard off, getting Saka off. Um, you know, I thought those in particular were were important. And Lacazette, who love him or hate him is vital to what we're doing, and someone who also could face fatigue. The the scary thing was there was a straight leg challenge from Thiago that went unpunished, and in absolutely typical fashion, because God forbid we, you know, potentially do anything to disrupt Liverpool in their attempt to make a title race for TV. They didn't even give us a, a replay of it on TV. We never saw it again. Oh, right. um, but, but, uh, you know what? Party seemed a little unwell after that. And, and again, I don't think it was a, a, an impact injury. It looked either like cramp or a strain. Now I haven't heard anything since then, so I don't know. And I'm just going to cross my fingers and toes and all that, that there's nothing there and we won't be hearing about it um, from Arteta in the next day or so. But I thought this was a great example, Bring on good players, still going for the game, but having a sensible approach to thinking about the weekend.
3: Yeah. I thought we got it right. Um, the two Odegaard and Saka were sort of boshed by a combination of Robertson and Tiago and, and, and we didn't have the, the center forward to really stress him in that space, and that's the truth of it. Your discussions around uh, Smith Rowe, I'm listening to you and thinking, "Yep, yeah, you know what? I think he could be an interior, but he can only be an interior if our center forward is one of those. It's like a party, if you know what I mean? Someone does one and a half jobs. We need a one and a half job center forward, not somebody doing three quarters of a job really, really well for the benefit of the team. And the other, and the rest of the team are taking up his goal scoring mantle, and he's and he's threat. The centre forward that can do all of the jobs, and have all of the size and physicality and speed that makes the jobs of the eights and the inverted wide men, stroke wing forwards. It makes their jobs really easy because of the absolute threat of the number nine. So when people are thinking about these, well, which I do all the time, <laughs> thinking about the next phase of Arsenal, um, I'm more than I'm more convinced now. It's not a smaller false nine player. It's a taller, stronger, faster player that enables some of our technical ball carriers, ball manipulators, sprinters with agility that we have, that we are invested in. Those four fabulous players that we know, they are of a certain build, of a certain construct, and we need to enable them by giving them something else. You know, I think that's really important. That's how you build careers. You don't mm. do too many of the same thing because you just can't sustain people on a certain day you don't have the skill sets that you need. So on the going back to original question, I think we we did this right. It's nice for once to have a big game and not get someone sent off and have a free game ban. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. really yeah. nice. Yeah. And um, there was some fatigue out there for us and there was there was some mental exhaustion as well. And Going back to the point earlier about Tim talking to Jonathan Northcroft online, and I, and I I helped him on that little discussion, and it just, it just, dis, it just disturbed me. I love me that you're
1: calling that a discussion.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a discussion. I want people to – but like, well, Jonathan's brilliant, right? So the reason yeah, why we, we yeah. spoke to him was, I want you to write this down. It's not the amount of games you played over a year. It's the gap between the games. There is no need to do a Wednesday night and then Saturday morning there's just no need for it. There's room in the calendar to, to even make that Saturday night or, or Sunday. Just, just do it, you know. And, it, and it's happening again between Chelsea and Manchester United. And this is a problem. And people say, oh, but Clive, you haven't played this many games in January. It's not, the, it's not the gap year to year or month to month, not how many games. It's the gap between games. Recovery. Think about recovery. You need time to recover. You know, there's between major events, you need time to recover. And that's what's been reduced. And that's the challenge for us. And, yeah, maybe next year when we are back in Europe and we have a squad that can do a bit like Liverpool's, we can do a bit a little bit better and we can change games. You know, and this is, you know, I will, don't go back to my five-sub argument, but I think mm, it's a big yeah. part of this. If you want to have this type of schedule, fine give people five subs they can plan for it, you know? And um, But we don't do that neither, right? We just want to see people twang and break, and break their legs. So uh, that's just me going off-tangent a little bit. But I thought we managed the game appropriately. I don't
1: think it's off-tangent because I, I, I think it's important because I think there have been times that I, on this very podcast, have asked about Arteta's ability to manage the load and, and rotate and things like that. And this season he hasn't had to do as much of it because the fixtures haven't been that congested. And I thought that this was sensible, Clive. I thought this was mm. good, sensible decision making. And you know, oh, by the way, you're not bringing on bums either. You know what I mean?
3: No, you, you're not. And I, I, I think sometimes when you're building a team, if I was to build a team of of the eleven most talented footballers, then mm-hmm. Smith Rowe plays, and probably Pepe plays. If I'm honest with you, you know, you put Tommy Asher in there. That that would be my team. You know, based on pure talent, I'd move them around. There for me are the. Eleven most talented footballers that we have. We can name the others, but there's more that makes a team, right? And I'm afraid some of the glue guys there that we need. That on occasions against the, the Liverpool and Man Cities and maybe Chelsea, we find the gaps and we find where the extremities lie in our talent. Do you know what I mean we've? It, we can see the edges. You can see the cracks. You can just see the limits a little bit more clearly that none of us are talking about against Watford and oh, what was the other game. Sorry, I missed it. Well, against Watford, did? Leicester, sorry, Leicester. Mm-hmm. None of us would talk about them extensively. We would talk about it in a nice way. Wouldn't it be nice to make a change there? But now we're thinking, okay, we need to do this. We do need to do this at some point because the next step is clearly, clearly staring us in the face. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you want to add?
4: Yeah, I'll I'll keep it short because it's kind of in the feelies area and I know that frustrates some people but looking at Arteta over the last few months as we've suddenly become good after the big click for me at Southampton um, that run of relative success to this point I think has been uh, brilliant for him. Uh, He's had a brilliant season in many ways through the tough times and as things pick up and I just think the kind of the the challenges early on and then this, this period where things are beginning to click and work right. I just think he's changed and grown. Like it was it was a change and and a growth that was ready to happen in him. But when I look at somebody like Klopp, the reason Klopp is brilliant is not just because he's super smart tactically or uh you know he's really good at engineering a team and a structure. He's got all of that but he's super smart in game situations <clears throat> in and around the build-up to games in between games, managing a, a run of games, managing a season. And that's something that Arteta had only done theoretically, only done third person watching Pep, watching Arsene. That's a great point. Yeah. And now he's living it. And his first season, season and a half, he probably felt he had imposter syndrome, right? Because He was doing all the things he thought one should do, but that's not the same as the things you should do. You got to be able to feel it. You got to be super smart, but you got to live it and feel it. And I just think it's clicked for him too now. And how he handles himself in press conferences and how he answers questions that come at him that he's not expecting. And he just knows the answer now because he's, I just think he's grounded, right? He's not impersonating a manager anymore. I always thought he'd be good. I just didn't know for sure it would happen while he was at Arsenal. And I kind of, all my concerns are now basically gone. He's the fucking man. He has a feel for this. He has a feel for Arsenal. He has a feel for this team. He has a plan. Uh, He was always smart. He was smart at Arsenal. He was Pep's right-hand man. And a lot of the time, Pep spent obsessing about how Liverpool play and how they work. And those are the two teams we're looking to uh, emulate and to beat along the way. And we've got the right man. I suspect his last days... Remember Vinay showing up at um, Arteta's house at 1 in the morning for that booty call to recruit him. Um, I suspect the last thing that uh, Arteta has been doing in the, the years he didn't get the job, or it was 2018, 2019, he had his first, his near Arsenal experience. I suspect he spent two or three years photocopying everything in Man City's offices, knowing that there was <laughs> a great chance this would yeah. come again. He pro- He probably gulped heavily when he didn't get the job with, thank God, I... Actually, I wasn't ready. and Or the club wasn't ready, to be fair. Or the club wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. And now he's had a year, year and a half of lessons, but it's clicked for him. You just yeah. feel he's ready now, and, and he's living it, and he's making this, better yeah. decisions on the sideline, in-game, in press conferences, building this season. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and this is why I think, like, I'm not worried about losing Arteta, for the record, because I think, like, certain situations just fit certain people in certain moments, do you think Unai Emery is happier where he is right now? Yep. I bet he is. That's Obama a good Yang. fit. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, Obama Yang Arteta. So it's all good. Uh, Clive, so we have Villa this weekend, but one thing that's interesting, Gabriel Martinelli's been called up to the Brazil national team. The Gareth Southgate's team for the international break has just been announced, and White is in it, Ramsdale's in it, Smith Rowe is in it, Saka's in it. I think it's important to these players. They want to be in their national teams. And when you're at a club where you're getting to play and you're getting to thrive and you're getting called up and you're getting... I think that helps the project. Ordinarily, I'm one who's like, I don't want our players in the national team because I want them to rest. But for these young players, don't you think it... It strengthens Arsenal as a destination when players can look around and be like, wow, you know, the, the stocks are rising on players who play at Arsenal. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I... I couldn't agree more. I I, I knew this was coming out. I was going to read this a little while ago about the international break, and I was worried about certain call outs, and I had a word in myself. I said, "No, you shouldn't be worried." Um, That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't be worried, and I, I'm just hoping they're too friendly, right? So hopefully you. You get a little bit of football, you're in a different environment, you get a mental refresh. The St George's Park environment is absolutely fantastic and Southgate's done a great job there developing that club environment. Everyone wants to go. No one turns it down. And so yeah, this is a good thing. And you know, my mantra, I want Arsenal to be a place the place to be. And we got a um, young Manchester United forward that's not in the squad, just lost himself at the moment. That would fit our club quite nicely, in my opinion. And if he found his game again. And, you know, you want people to say, what's happening at Arsenal? Is that I want some of these young, bright players to be in our club, and that is the place where it all happens. That's how Ramsdale eventually ended up at Arsenal because there was a character reference coming from him from the England squad, right? So that's how it that's how these things work. Like it does in all our jobs. We recommend people, we know somebody. And you, you give someone a leg up and they got to get through the process. But, hey, having your words that stands for that person helps, right? And every job I've ever had has come through somebody introduced me to somebody else, right? And that's how it works. And and so our players are in the top, top room now. And more to, you know, And I think more will happen. Even Cedric's got back in the Portuguese squad, you know? So that's that's great for him he's 29 is he 29 30 he's back in the portuguese squad because he's playing top level football and that's really good i just want more of it to happen really and then people see it, Arsenal as a place they want to be and where their careers can grow you don't come to Arsenal to earn money and die quietly there's been many a time in international breaks when basically, mate, the whole squad's been at home. <laughs> 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 you do the training videos, there's 40 players in there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like one player, one 19 year old has gone away of England, and that's it. Right? And we were that was only the other day. So, um, so yeah, things are on the up. And that comes back down to recruitment and getting people out the building. And, and that, that is the right way to go. However, I will say, we just lost a game. And, yep. Yeah, we know the rules. We know where the gaps are. But there is a danger lurking. I'll put it in the chat. There's a danger lurking, you know, for, for people that think we should have invested more in January. There is a danger lurking. There are some compressed weeks of fixtures. We, we talking about potential injury that we don't know nothing about. We're not. Please, people, don't don't start scrolling your Twitter now. We don't know for sure. But a couple of injuries, and we are in a situation where there's danger around the corner. Right? And that trust I love where we're heading, but that absolute trust isn't there for everybody. You know, it isn't there. And I just want it to work out for them so much because I think this team deserves I think we're a better team than Spurs, better than Manchester United. I think we've got more about us than West Ham and Wolves, but West Ham are distracted slightly and Wolves just make too many errors for me. So I think we are the best team. But being the best team, you still need to have all those intangibles in place, all of the mentality in place, all the right messaging in place, all the right acceptance of your roles and responsibility. And some of the things that Thomas Party showed last night under the highest pressure—that's exactly what we need more of: people that can step and stretch, stretch mm. the occasion, and execute. And there is none of us, despite our positivity and, for some people, surprise of where we are. There is none of us. In recent five years, that can say we're going to cross this line, you know, because we don't know and they don't know. We can only support. We can only hope. We can we can only <laughs> overanalyze. That's what we do, <laughs> but that's all we can do. And I think that's a big reason why the atmosphere, the ground is so good. I think people know their role now. They know that we are needed. It could it could come down to the five percent. I think that's a big reason why it's all clicking.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I enjoy watching this arsenal do what it does. And whether that means it wins or it loses or it draws, like liking what we're doing and believing that we're doing the right things means that I can enjoy the direction we're moving. For a long time, I didn't trust what Arsenal was doing in the market. I didn't trust what Arsenal was doing on the pitch. And so whether we won, lost, or draw, there was this sense that it might be a one-off if we won or a continuation of bad trends if we lost. Right now, win, lose, or draw, I trust what we're doing in such a way that I, I, I look forward to the next time that we get on the pitch. I look forward to the next moves we make in the market because I have a greater degree of trust. To your point about danger on the horizon, look, this weekend is crucial. Villa away, I mean, that's a hard game. I'm looking at our fixture list. I see three games between now and the end of the season that I would say are comfortable. Maybe four. But Palace away, and Chelsea away, and Spurs away, and West Ham away, and now even Newcastle away, and United at home. All of those games. All of those games are tricky. I mean, Palace just held City. You know? Like, like, there's no easy games in the Premier League, period. But we've got nothing but tricky fixtures with a few exceptions left so we have to really believe in what we're doing but and i said this on the instant reaction i think this is really an important point of course i think it is we we play like we did against liverpool these games are not going to be an issue and paul as a final thought like when we played against city i felt that even though We lost, and even though it felt like it was taken from us, what we saw against City is a team that can go beat anyone. The problem is we never got to see that put into into play right away because we had the weird FA Cup tie, the two weird League Cup ties, no midfielders against Burnley, and then we go to Dubai. And When we came back, I think we saw the continuation of what we'd seen against City. But unlike that game, now we get to go out on Saturday and show, sooner than Arteta would like, to be fair, that what we did against Liverpool... Is a level that can't be that that other teams can't live with. So we will get to see is that level we we had against Liverpool truly as as good as we think, and we're going to get to see it real quick.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think that's right, except that important bit a little too soon. Like we could actually look back in this and think, uh, was that somewhat underwhelming performance because the guys were shagged out. Or are we not yeah. quite as good as we think? So, unfortunately, I think we got slightly screwed here. Um, like, hopefully it won't matter. Hope, we'll, Hopefully we show up. We Would you
1: rotate? We, Would you rotate in a Pepe or, or a Smith-Rowe?
4: Not unless there's something we, I don't know. I, I wouldn't rotate, no. Um, okay. y- you can make it harder for the team by rotating somebody new. in Like, it's all working. One of the things that, that allows you to not be as tired as, oh, look, it's sack on your right, it's it's Odegaard, it's Martin. Like everybody knows how this works right now. Um, so I keep I think you keep doing what you're doing uh till it doesn't work. So we just go again on Saturday, that's how it is. Um so it's a little nerve-wracking, though not as nerve-wracking as reading in the chat while while we're having a nice happy happy chat about. Players making the England England squad a message from Clive that says danger lurks. <laughs> that's genuinely I mean, terrifying. I'd use
1: that as the title of the pod, except that's way too dark for a pod that I think has been mostly upbeat. But I, I look, danger only lurks if we can't sustain what we've been doing, and and I, I think, I think we can. Let's let's leave it there. Um, hey Clive. Yes. I would meet you for a date to rewatch that first half if you wanted tomorrow.
3: Yeah, I got things to say, mate. Trust me. Oh, good. I, I got oh, good food. I, I, I didn't
1: realize view. you had things to say, but now that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely on. Okay, <laughs> let's get that first half rewatch tomorrow for patrons. Let's get the instant reaction to our big win on Saturday and on and on and on and up and up and congrats to the Arsenal players named to their national teams. Let's leave it there. Paul's on Twitter. Paul's in my pants Thanks, class.
4: Danger lurks.
1: Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive pfc. Thanks, Clive.
4: Thank you very much.
1: Getting to the point now where I do the better woohoos. Maybe it'll make it my thing. What you don't want, look, you come on the Instant Reaction pod and Scott's on it. Turn your volume down before Jesus. his yeehaw. That's all I'm going to say. Jeez, that guy comes in hot. All right. Thanks, everyone. We love you so much. Really, really do. Thank you for being here. The, the best community out there. And, and you're you're the reason why. So we love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Villanova.